This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Okay, uh, so I want to talk about uh, Karuna today. And Karuna is, of course, compassion. And uh, as I said before, Metta is the fundamental, the root uh, Brahma Vihara. So all the other Brahma Viharas come out of Metta. Uh, they're Metta responding to particular circumstances. So karuna is metta's response to suffering. Um, if we have strong metta for somebody and uh, we realise that they're suffering, uh, our, our response changes. More, more is demanded of us, uh, in a way. It, we want, so it's us wanting that person's welfare, wanting them to be well and happy, and then uh, facing the fact that they're suffering. And it demands a different sort of response. And I should say at this stage that uh, we don't set out to develop karuna. We develop metta and we bring it into contact with suffering. And the result is karuna. And I think particularly with this Brahma Vihara, it's best to assume that we don't know what karuna is. So we've probably done quite a lot of this already uh, in our metta bhavana <coughs> practice. If we've been doing the metta bhavana for a number of years... Certainly we've, we've uh, been directing metta to friends and others who are suffering. So we have some feel for karuna already. And I think this is very important. Um, we don't practice karuna to experience suffering, <laughs> to experience somebody who is suffering. That's not enough. Um, we practice karuna to strengthen our determination to help those who are suffering. So the focus, in a way, in the Karuna Bhavna isn't on suffering, or at least it's not just on suffering. We're aware of suffering, but the practice is to cultivate (coughs) that determination to help those that are suffering in quite practical, active sort of ways. Uh, So if we just meditate on their suffering, we're likely to fall into sadness, or uh, despondency, which is a, a sort of near enemy to uh, to, to, to Karuna. Uh, so w- our focus really is, yes, we're taking in the suffering, but our focus is on cultivating that desire to, and determination to help in practical ways. So it's quite a demanding practice, the Karuna Bhavna. It's quite a muscular practice in a way. It's, qu- it's quite a masculine sort of practice, single inverted commas. Okay, and um, Banti has spoken it of as um, being like a shadow falling across our meta.
And again, um, it's not just a feeling. It's not just a feeling of uh, feeling sorry for the person. Uh, we, we, uh, we feel for their suffering, but there's a volition there. And the volition is to help to alleviate their suffering. That's what we're trying to cultivate. And that's quite difficult, isn't it? Um, because the way we're wired, the whole tendency of our being is to want to seek out pleasure and to avoid happy and to avoid suffering. Um, although, having said that, uh, some people, when they get onto the Karuna Bhavna, they find it quite exhilarating. They feel that yes, okay, this is this is a real practice. It's really something I can get into. It's really touching on the heartbeat of Buddhism. And uh, I think I feel like that myself. Uh, I think there are very strong uh, vipassana elements also uh, in the Karunabhavna practice. That you're, you're, you're going against the whole weight of your being, that whole tendency to avoid suffering and uh, to seek out pleasure. Um, but that's not to say that uh, the Karunabhavna <coughs> is a, 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 a sort of heavy practice. Um, the desire to alleviate suffering can be joyful. Uh, it can be exhilarating. And uh, there's this rather enigmatic phrase of Bhante's, which I've puzzled over sometimes, which is uh, a painless sympathy with pain. A painless sympathy with pain. And uh, I, I wonder if this is what he's, what he's getting at. But we tend to want to avoid suffering. Uh, we associate it with failure. Uh, we find it unattractive. And if we're really honest, uh, when we're with our friends and we're having fun, and if there's somebody who's suffering, somebody who's going through it, we find it unattractive. Uh, it may remind us of our own suffering. Well, it's bound to remind us of our own suffering. We associate it with, fa with failure. Um, so in some ways, other people's suffering can appear as threatening to us. And sometimes uh, it can it can appear very threatening, uh, particularly if, it, if it's very strong. And uh, I'm reminded of a friend of mine who lost his uh, daughter in very tragic circumstances. And uh, if you lose somebody in your family, particularly if, if you lose a child, you don't. It's not something you get over. Um, it, it it goes on and on and on. And uh, he said that uh, people would actually people he knew would cross the street when they saw him coming to avoid confronting uh, his suffering. And uh, I don't think it's that uncommon. Uh, very often we're, we're, we're prepared to sympathise up to a point, but we want to get it out of the way and get back to enjoying life, don't we? <laughs> but we need to uh, find some way of coming into relationship with suffering. Uh, it's central to the Buddhist path. Uh, it's right there in the Buddha's first teaching. It's there in the, in the Four Noble Truths, unsatisfactoriness. And uh, in a way, it's half of life. You know, life, it, life in the human realm is a mixture of pleasure and pain. And uh, we have to come into some sort of relationship with it. That's more difficult in some ways because we're so bombarded with suffering. Um, w through the media um, and so on uh, that w we become numb to it so we have to start with those people close to us we have to start at home with those people that we're in daily contact with 
and who we can help in quite practical ways. And it has to be gradual. Uh, you, it's like with the Karen above, you're trying to turn around this great Atlantic liner and it's got this huge momentum behind it and you, ha- you have to approach it gradually and just steer it onto another course. But if we don't do that, if, if we avoid suffering and uh, we, invo- we avoid coming into relationship with it, we're going to develop in a one-sided way and uh, our development is going to be uh, superficial and re- remain superficial. So it's not easy, but maybe the Karuna Bhavna offers a way that we can do this, a way that we can approach it. And I think it's quite good, actually, uh, to meet our, our limitations in this respect. To come, into, to come into contact with our limitations and realise what our limitations are and be quite honest that very often we do close off when we, we come into contact with suffering. We do shut down. Uh, we, we want to distract ourselves from it because it's going to demand something of us. But we have to find ways to engage with it. So the first step is uh, to find ways of extending our emotional response to suffering. Just contacting the, the seeds of compassion and fanning the flame to change the metaphor, allowing them to grow. Okay, uh, the practice itself is in six stages. And uh, the six stages are, first of all, starting by developing a base of metta. Uh, The second stage is a suffering person. The third stage is a good friend. Uh, The fourth stage is a neutral person. The fifth stage is the enemy. And then... The last stage is breaking the barriers and expansion. Okay, so uh, in the first stage, we don't we don't develop karuna for ourselves. <coughs> we develop metta for ourselves. Uh, we start off by developing a base of metta. And that's why we've been doing uh, quite a lot of Metta Bhavna before attempting the Karuna Bhavna. So we've actually got some momentum of Metta going. And um, it may be that you, dev- you know, that in that first stage you need to develop Metta for yourself. It may be that you just tune in with that momentum of Metta that's already there, particularly as we go on in the retreat. And you just <coughs> dwell in that and keep dwelling on it. And as you dwell on it, uh, it grows stronger. Uh, it, it, uh, the momentum becomes greater. Uh, so you develop that momentum of metta. And that's your touchstone. So throughout the practice, if you find you're losing the practice, uh, you're losing momentum in the practice, maybe you're getting distracted, 
come back to the body uh, and come back to that momentum of metta and uh, strengthen that and then go back to the karuna practice. Okay. And then in the second stage, you choose someone who's suffering. Um, you choose someone who it's easy to see that they're suffering. So this is, so, so you're actually seeing this is quite a distinct emotion uh, that you're trying to develop. Uh, you, it may be somebody who's suffering, suffering through illness or through loss, um, through circumstances changing, maybe their partner's left them, whatever. Um, their, their family's broken up. Um, it may be that they're suffering through the results of their own unskillful action. It might even be that they're, they're suffering because of the, 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 the strength of their spiritual practice. You know, and, and, and the strength of their spiritual practice has brought them up against past karma and they're purifying past karma, but it's still painful. Uh, that can be very inspiring. So first of all, you just connect with the whole person. Uh, you don't just you don't just focus on the fact of their suffering. I think this is important. It means that you don't see them as a victim. I think there's um, I, th- I think it's quite important this idea of uh, not not seeing people as a victim. Uh, if you see someone as a victim, you uh, you see them less than you see them as less than individual. Uh, in a way, it's quite patronising to see someone as a victim. You know, the Buddhist idea is that we're all responsible for our actions, um, our words, and our thoughts. And I think this is brought out in this phrase um, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, which is uh, uh, "May all beings." be free from suffering and its causes. Um, may all beings be free from suffering and its causes. And in a way there's not much that you can do about the vicissitudes of life. You know, what life brings your way, the worldly winds, which way the worldly winds are blowing. Um, life is full of, full of happiness and suffering. But you can do a lot about how you respond to it. So, in a way, when you're wishing that people are free from suffering, uh, you're, free, you're wishing also that they're free from creating their own suffering through the way that they respond to suffering. Uh, what, what's commonly known as the second arrow. Um, the second arrow being that someone is shot by an arrow and then a second arrow comes in which, which causes further suffering by the way that they react to their suffering. And uh, the usual way people react to suffering is by uh, looking for somebody to blame or something to blame. Uh, so you're, you're, you're also wishing that people take responsibility for their response to suffering as well. May all beings have happiness and its causes. And uh, as you get into the practice, you might want to start bringing that in, to bring, bringing that element of karma into the practice. It's quite an important element of the Brahm Viharas. But anyway... Back to the uh, suffering person. Uh, you connect with the whole person with metta. You feel your metta for them. 
and then you just become sensitive to the fact that they're suffering in whatever way. And choose someone it's quite obvious with in this in this stage. And you bring your metta to the, to the fact of their suffering. And out of that, it said, karuna will arise. This strong volition, this strong wish for their happiness, meeting with their suffering. That's uh, out, of which, out of that karuna arises. And you might want to use a phrase, uh, but use it sparingly. Um, and it might be something like, may you be free from suffering. Or may you be free from suffering and its causes. Or maybe that maybe the you know they're not going to be free from suffering maybe their condition is chronic maybe they're they're terminally ill even and uh, then you can say well may you find the strength to deal with your suffering in a good way or something like that something that's resonant for you so you can always do something you can't always do something about suffering and people can't always do something about their own suffering but they can always do something about the way that they respond to suffering and you can wish that they respond skillfully, creatively to their suffering. So start gently. Uh, don't take on too much. Uh, know, know your limitations in, in this stage. And if you get stuck, always come back to metta. <coughs> come back to the body. Come back to metta. And... Uh, you can move between the two in this practice. So you can move between your metta and the fact that they're suffering. And you, 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 it's like you're working with both elements. You come back and strengthen your metta, then you bring to mind the fact they're suffering, and then you bring the two together. Hopefully on, on, on uh, deeper and deeper levels, more and more fully. So there's an integration of these two elements. Okay, and then you bring to mind the good friend. And you do just the same. Uh, you see the whole person, you connect with the whole person with metta. And uh, then you bring to mind the fact that they're suffering. And you probably know some way that they're suffering. Maybe you need a bit more imagination, uh, a greater imaginative identification, but bring to mind some aspect of their suffering. And again, you know, uh, you can wish them well, you can use the stages, you can use the phrases, may they be free from suffering. And karuna here is, um, is said to be an antidote to uh, the, ne the, the near enemy of the last Brahmavihara metta. So it's an antidote to Pema. So if you're just feeling attachment um, to your friend, and, and maybe slight, slight intoxication, you bring to mind the fact of their suffering, and it tends to uh, strip away the pema, and and bring about a more um, altruistic response from you. It calls for a more altruistic response to be able to identify with the fact that they're suffering. Okay, then you bring to mind the neutral person. And you don't really need to know 
very much about the neutral person, particularly in the Karuna Bhagna. In a way, it's, it's, it's more essential uh, because suffering is a universal fact. So you know they're just like you in the fact that they experience loss, they experience separation, uh, they experience uh, ageing, uh, illness, uh, sooner or later death, um, disappointment and so on. So you can reflect, they're just like you. And it's quite interesting, I've noticed this very often. Sometimes people's lives look, look so perfect, you know, on the, on the surface. Maybe, maybe everything seems to be going their way. You get to know someone a bit better and, uh, you know, before very long you realise it's not like that, that, uh, ele- that dukkha is very much an element in their life. Uh, so you can assume that there's dukkha there. It's not assuming very much. It's, 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 a, it's a fact and you don't have to know the details uh, see them as another human being like yourself and uh, bring your matter into the fact that they experience suffering this universal law and in some ways it's easier in some ways it's easier to develop uh, uh, karana for the, for the neutral person than to, to develop matter. Okay, and then you bring to mind uh, the enemy. And again you connect with metta. Uh, and, and again you recognise that there is a difficulty there. Um, there, 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 is, there is some tension there. Um, but again you, you broaden out and you try to connect with the whole person. And then you bring to mind the fact that they're suffering. Um, <coughs> And again, um, when you realise your su- when you realise your enemy is suffering, it's it's enough to disarm your your enmity towards them. And there's this phrase from the American poet uh, Longfellow, uh, which I think puts it very well. And this is what he says: He says, "If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility." If we could read the sacred history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And uh, it's very like that when we hear people's life stories. You know, there may be somebody we don't particularly like, and then we hear their life story, and we realise, yeah, well, of course they're like that. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's um, conditionality. It's conditions playing themselves out in their life. And if they're really that bad, then they really need our compassion, don't they? (laughs) Okay, and then we come to the last stage, and uh, breaking the barriers, and uh, then expanding outwards. So here we do do bring to mind the fact that we suffer as well. Uh, We bring to mind ourselves, and the other four people, and we reflect that we all experience suffering. And... uh, we, we, we cultivate that wish to alleviate the suffering of ourselves and those people. And then we expand outwards into the world, uh, including more and more people, and uh, just wanting to alleviate, suffer, alleviate suffering. And it's said sometimes that it's like a big black cloud of suffering hanging over the world. And the Bodhisattva 
is just working on clearing away that big black cloud without worrying too much whether it's one's own suffering or other people's. It doesn't really matter. It's just suffering. Okay, so there's uh, a near enemy and uh, a f- near enemies and a far enemy to Karina. And the far enemy is cruelty. And maybe don't think you're too far away from cruelty. Don't think cruelty is just for other people. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think if we catch ourselves sometimes, we realise there are times when we enjoy inflicting suffering. Um, it may take us quite unawares. But, and and we, we may even, when we see people suffering, if they're continually suffering, I think this is particularly true of people from, who suffer, if you're a carer for somebody who suffers from chronic depression, uh, you just get irritated, you know, and, you, and, and perhaps sometimes you act, cruelly, you act cruelly. So we're all capable of uh, cruelty. Uh, maybe it's just we haven't been tested very much. And that may come up in the practice, in which case you need to reflect and you need to work on it. Um, there are the near enemies and there are two, possibly three I mentioned sadness or, or despondency I think that's a near enemy so, uh, so if you're falling into despondency perhaps you're focusing too much in, on suffering and not enough on the desire to alleviate suffering the other near enemies are pity and pity is feeling sorry for somebody. Um, it's that sort of, oh, how are you? <laughs> you know, are you all right? <laughs> you know, and and uh, it's not really connecting with a real person. You're somehow paying lip service to their suffering, but you're not really engaging with them. In actual fact, you just want to get the suffering person out of the way as soon as possible. And um, this old friend of mine, Vajrachitta. Uh, he, 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 who I lived with at Vajraloka years ago, um, he was very concerned about homeless people in London. It's, the situation is a lot worse now, but even then, 20 years ago, it was quite bad. And if he went down to London, he'd always carry change in his pocket to give to homeless people. And sometimes he didn't have any money. And uh, if he didn't have any money, he'd just sit down on the pavement with them and just talk to them and, and, and connect with them. And uh, he said he could just see people going past, you know, just like throwing money into the hat and looking the other way and just wanting to get away. And uh, so you'll, you'll probably come up against the near enemy in the practice. You'll come up against your own pity. And the way it's going to manifest is you're only prepared to engage to a certain extent uh, with suffering. Or maybe you're prepared to acknowledge it, but you're not prepared to go that bit further and cultivate the desire to do something about it to act on it so notice that notice where your limitations are and engage more deeply look for a way of engaging more deeply and particularly engaging with that desire to alleviate suffering the other one is uh, horrified anxiety and uh, horrified anxiety is Yes, you do experience the suffering very strongly, but you become overwhelmed by it. 
uh, a bit like I imagine it to like if you're the first on the scene at a really a really nasty uh, accident, you know, car car crash or something like that. You know, you're just overwhelmed by the suffering and you're paralysed by the fear. So uh, if that comes up for you, then uh, you need to just calm down and relax and uh, come back into your body, ground yourself in your body and again find a way of engaging more deeply with the suffering person. But calm it all down. Okay, I just want to uh, put the current above in a bigger context, uh, just to finish off. And I want to put it in the in the context of bodhicitta, and uh, in the context of our order. Um, so I, th- I think I think the Karuna Bhavna is 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 a very very important practice. Um, it's a very weighty practice. It's a very maturing practice, and I think it takes us right to the heart of Buddhism. Um, and in a way, it takes us right to the heart of the Bodhisattva ideal. And um, very very popular in the earlier days of our movement was. Uh, the image of the thousand-armed, eleven-headed Avalokiteshra, and each order member being like a hand of Avalokiteshra reaching out to help in the world, and it wasn't just a nice image. Uh, it was it was uh, much much more than that. And Bhante on occasion said, "It's not that it's even a myth of the order; it is the order." And uh, I want to say more about that in a minute, uh, but I just want to say something about myth. Um, I think, very briefly, I think it's myth, connecting with a myth that's going to actually uh, really motivate us deeply. I think it's probably only connecting with a myth that's going to take our practice deep enough to take us all the way. And there's no such thing as a personal myth. Um, A myth is collective. And a myth arises when a number of very strong aspirations and very strong feelings come together. uh, in, a, in a very, very powerful way. And this is what the order is. The order is uh, a number of people with very strong aspirations and uh, very strong feelings coming together. And when it comes together in, num- in large numbers, say at a convention or something like that, sometimes on pujas at a convention, you experience it quite tangibly, that something else is brought into being. And what, what is brought into being is the bodhisattva, it's it's um, it's some reflection of the bodhicitta itself, uh, the will to enlightenment for oneself and all beings, and you can feel it quite tangibly come into the room. You can probably you'll probably feel it to some extent even on a retreat like this in a puja that something else comes into being. That's what we're doing in the puja. We're evoking the bodhicitta. We're trying to bring this into being, and that is what the order is really. Uh, a bodhisattva is not a person. A bodhisattva is a number of people coming together with very, very strong aspirations and together being a force for good in the world. And um, The order operates on, on lots of different levels. And I, I remember my own, um, my own ordination retreat uh, back in 1984 uh, in Tuscany, this, this old uh, convent in Tuscany. 
And in the evenings, uh, Banti used to hold question-answer sessions. Padma Vajra was there as well. And uh, we were all very young in those days. Um, I was 29, and I was, about, I was one of the more senior people getting ordained. I was one of the older people getting ordained. And uh, most of us were in our 20s. And we were all new order members, and we were coming together every evening with Banti. And we had these magical uh, question-answer sessions where it felt we were being transported uh, into another dimension. It really did feel like. Gina Raja remembers this as well. Um, and uh, one evening he said, uh, he said the order's not to be identified with this rather, rather scruffy bunch of people. He said the order has significance on all sorts of levels. Uh, he ha- it has a significance on a, on a cosmic level. And uh, we must never lose sight of that. <laughs> you know, we must never lose sight of that cosmic level. Uh, the order isn't perfect. Uh, you know, there are, there are different disharmonies in the order. There are, there are all sorts of all sorts of problems which we're, we're which we're having to work with collectively um, to bring the order into being, to to bring the the, the real order into being. Um, but we must never lose sight of the myth of the order, of what the order really is. Much more than this scruffy bunch of individuals, um, which is the the, the, the bodhisattva. Um, and of course there are going to be difficulties. You know, we're a bunch of unenlightened human beings trying to do something very, very difficult and trying to do something very difficult in a world that's largely hostile to uh, spiritual development. So how could it be otherwise? Mm. Um, it has to be like this. Um, and very often that's like the, the, the grit in the oyster that produces the pearl. It's the frictions and the difficulties and the effort and going deeper into resources and bringing more out of us that actually brings the bodhisattva into being. And what we have to, what we have to bear in mind, I think, in our practice is that uh, it's only the Dharma that leads to the end of suffering. Uh, nothing else leads to the end of suffering. Yes, social work will help, political work can help, but it's only the Dharma that can actually lead to the end of suffering. And we need to believe in that really strongly uh, because sometimes we feel we have to justify what we're doing, but we don't, you know. And when we come, a- when we come away on a retreat like this, part of the work uh, to help the world, this suffering world, is to go deeper into our own practice because we have to go deeper into our own practice because the Dharma is, can only be taught and communicated to the extent that we exemplify ourselves. So we come away on retreat, not just to develop pleasant states of mind. We come away on retreat to strengthen our desire to help others, to help this suffering world. And that's why we do uh, the Karuna Bhavna practice. And we come away on retreat and we cultivate these Brahma Viharas. And that's remarkable in itself. And then we come back into the world and uh, we use whatever we've got to help others. So that's why we're here. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 